If you'll open with me in your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. And if you don't own one, take that one home with you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word that you can read regularly. You know, several years ago, I spent a week aboard a sailboat in the Bahamas with my dad and about a dozen other people. And we left the, the port of Miami late one night, sailed across the Gulf Stream, which if you've never been across that, is basically a pretty wild roller coaster up and down. Impossible to sleep in the bow of a boat going across the Gulf Stream, crashing on the waves. But we woke up the next morning on the, the smooth Grand Bahama Banks. And I remember coming up out of our cabin that morning, looking around, seeing nothing but water, and just being delighted. Happy to see nothing but water. Because we spent the next week doing three or four, five scuba dives a day, day and night, uh, just exploring different parts of the Bahamas. And it was a special trip and just one of the, one of the greatest that I've ever had an opportunity to go on. During that week, I recall one particular dive. We were getting ready to go, and the current was extra heavy that day. Remember, we're out, out in the middle of the water, no land in sight. So the instructions for a dive like that is to start out swimming against the current and then to come back to the boat with the current. And so as we're preparing, our dive master would have given us this instructions, uh, told us about things to explore, Uh, told us about the dive plan. So we go out and we do it. Enjoy that time. We're getting back into the boat, cleaning equipment, putting our things away, and we notice there's still two people that haven't gotten back onto the boat yet. A lady and her mom. We spent the next hours searching for them, looking everywhere, Scanning the horizon, we called in other boats that were nearby, and we're kind of doing grid patterns, looking for them. Can't find these two women. Until literally hours later, we spot just a little black dot far off on the horizon. One of them had taken off, she had taken off her fin and was waving it in the air, trying to get attention of anybody who could see her. And so we spotted them, went over there, picked them up. They were safe. What went wrong? They didn't obey. They swam with the current first, which took them way further than they ever imagined they might go. And then when it was time to turn around, they didn't have enough energy left to swim against the current, and they didn't have enough air left to do it. And since they were underwater the whole time, there was no way they could be watched, nobody watching to ensure their obedience, nobody watching to ensure their safety, and it left them in grave danger. We're almost to the end of the book of Hebrews. And as we finish out our last chapter, the author reminds us that we're on a journey, a journey that requires obedience and a journey that requires being watched. And this journey language he's used throughout the book. We're running an endurance race. We're seeking a city that is to come, holding fast until Christ returns again. And he's filled us up with all these beautiful, marvelous, big truths of the gospel. Christ is superior to everything. Don't turn back. The new covenant is better. Don't turn back. Christ is your assurance. Hold fast to that confidence. He's filled us full with this. 
And he's done it because he knows there's danger out there. There's false teachings that are going to lure us away. Real suffering in our lives that's going to cause us to turn back. The way of Christ is, is hard sometimes. There's an easier path out there. And so as the letter closes, he sends us onward in this journey toward Christ with some final instructions. A call to obedience and a reminder that we're being joyfully watched all the way home. And inside of that truth, we find instructions for each of us. One, one for each of us as believers. One specifically for your pastors. And then one for our whole church. And so let's read now from Hebrews chapter 13. We'll be in verses 17 and 19 together. And consider this call to obedience and the gift of being joyfully watched. This is Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. One of the great gifts of being a church that preaches expositionally through whole books of the Bible is that over time we providentially run into everything that God means for us to hear, for us to learn and talk about together. And so we choose a book of the Bible and then we slowly work our way in and, and through it and we naturally run into all sorts of topics that we might not otherwise think we should talk about or we might accidentally even overemphasize at times. And since all of Scripture is pointing us to, to Christ every week, we're holding up the gospel and, and turning that diamond, giving the, a new facet a chance to glimmer before our eyes. But every now and then, we run into a passage that seems unlikely to have come up on its own, apart from God's divine authorship. Like today, obey your leaders. You know, if at the beginning of Hebrews we'd put out kind of a sign-up sheet for those of us who preach, it would have been easy for most of the book. You know, who wants to preach about Christ being a superior sacrifice? Like, we're all arguing over that one. Who wants to preach about how we have confidence to draw near to God, full assurance of faith? Everybody wants that passage. Who wants to preach about God's promise to hold us fast, to guarantee us all the way home to Christ. Everybody. Who wants to stand up and say, obey your pastors? Nobody. But it's here for a reason, is it not? Our God has decided we need this truth. On our journey home to that eternal city with Christ, we need to obey our leaders and submit to them. So Christian, obey eagerly. You know, scripture, and in particular in the New Testament, is filled with all sorts of commands toward obedience to authorities. Romans 13, we're told to obey our governing authorities. 
Colossians 3, children, obey your parents. 1 Peter 2, be subject to the emperor. Servants, obey your masters. And the focus in each of those passages is really obedience based off of the office and authority structure that God has created. So obey the office because God created the office. But here in Hebrews, the focus is a little bit different. Instead of obeying the office, you're obeying because of what the office gives you, what the leaders provide. More specifically, obedience based off of the words that they speak. Because the the author of Hebrews has grammatically connected our passage here in 17 back to verse 7, where he said, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. And so he's saying, obey your leaders because they speak the word of God to you. But even beyond that, it, it carries an extra weight, a burden of being persuaded. Obey your leaders as they persuade you from God's word. So there's a burden on us as pastors not to stand up and read God's word, but to persuade you to obedience of God's word. You know, it's the difference between telling my kids, don't touch that. Why? Because I'm your dad. I told you not to touch it. And don't touch the stove. Why? Because it's hot. It could burn you. I don't want you to get hurt. I love you. I care for you. Oh, well, that makes perfect sense, Dad. Thanks for telling me that. You know, it's always that easy in my house. <laughs> you know, it's, it's obedience one through speaking truth. And so this means your obedience is, is to God, not to me. It's obedience to the Lord through your pastor. And that's an extremely important governor on the whole idea. Because the text isn't calling you to obey me simply because I'm me or simply because of a title that I have. I have no inherent authority in myself, but my authority is derived. It's based on my speaking God's truth to you. And so my words carry authority only insofar as they're in agreement with Scripture, as they in accordance to God's word. And so as pastors, we need to be very careful how we speak. There is a weightiness to our words. And there's a, a second important governor on this whole idea. It says, obey your leaders. Plural. Every church in the New Testament is led by a plurality of elders. Never just one man. Here at Heritage, we have 15 elders at the moment. All of us teaching in various capacities, some from the pulpit, some from the elective room, some of us across the coffee table with you. All of us, when we gather together in our elder meetings, have one vote. No one man could or should ever attempt to do this alone. He says, obey your leaders. It's part of how we hold one another accountable to speaking God's words and not our own. How we help sharpen one another to speak truth, to be true to God's word when we speak, when we teach, when we preach, by having a multitude of us together. 
And so we're called to obey our leaders. And on the one hand, I want to say that obeying your leader is a fairly unpopular notion in our culture. And there's some truth in that, right? More and more people are being led by the lie that authority and truth rests inside of themselves alone. If I believe it, then it's true. It's true for me. So any truth that's against me is oppressive or even hateful. Even within the church, if we think in the kind of a global sense, we could spend a lot of time talking about abusive authority, spiritually abusive authority. So obeying our leaders in one sense is not a terribly popular idea out there. But on the other hand, we're all obeying somebody, right? We're all listening to somebody. Somebody's whispering in our ear. Authors, podcasters, politicians, maybe your own voice. So the question for us is, who are we listening to? Who are we obeying? Is it your pastor helping you hold fast to Christ? God didn't sovereignly direct us to obey authors or podcasters. It's not to say that those are bad things and they couldn't be immensely helpful on the way. But pastors, the elders in your local church. And he follows that up quickly with this idea of submission. So in your mind might quickly go to Ephesians and thinking about wives and husbands and the marital relationship and submitting to the Spirit together. That's not exactly what he has in mind here. It's related. It's a similar idea, um, but it's a different word. And so the idea here is a readiness or an eagerness to obey. He's talking about your general posture toward your pastors. So the picture is a heart that's bent toward obeying your pastors as they speak truth. Bent toward obedience. You know, our hearts can be bent in all sorts of ways at different times, right? It can be bent toward mistrust. You know, I wonder what's really going on in those elder meetings. I don't trust those guys. It could be bent towards just personal authority. I'll obey if I agree with it. I'll obey if I like it. I'll obey if I know all the reasons for that decision. Could be bent toward doubt. You know, what they really need to be doing is this. It's not a matter of not being able to ask questions. You know, we're a congregational church for a reason. Because the, the members of the church caring and owning the life and the ministry of this church. So it's not about not being able to ask questions, have your own thoughts. It's a matter of which way is your heart inclined as you think about your pastors. Is it a heart lovingly inclined toward eager obedience? Because God has placed pastors in in our lives. I need pastors. I'm under authority of pastors as well. Those men to speak truth deep into our hearts, fueling that endurance, deepening that confidence, reminding us of our access 
to Christ, calling us homeward. And so church, eagerly obey your pastors as they speak truth to you. He, he tells us that we should obey because the threats on the journey home are real. Look with me again at our, our passage. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for, so he's going to give us the, the reason here, a deepening reason. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So obey your leaders because they're watching over your soul. And so an instruction to the other 14 men in this room, but for all of us to hear, pastors on our people's journey home to Christ, watch them enthusiastically. You know, the imagery here of a watchman, it refers to a constant, wide, eyes wide open type of vigilance. It's the imagery of a shepherd under the stars as his sheep fall asleep counting other sheep. It's the imagery of a watchman up on the wall, looking out to the horizon, scanning for danger. A sentry up on the tower, looking for those threats of invasion. It's a dangerous, exhausting, necessary assignment. And so you remember from our time in Hebrews that Hebrews has called us to watch out for one another, to watch over one another in some sense. Just a few verses ago, Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. He's talking to everybody there, whole church. Hebrews 3, take care, brothers. He's talking to everybody. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you away, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So all of you, watch out. All of you take care of one another. All of you exhort and admonish one another. But in a special way, he's calling pastors to be watchmen. And I think part of a few things inform this idea. And so I want you to flip back to Ezekiel chapter 3 with me. And if you don't know where Ezekiel is, you could grab your Bible, close it, and go maybe like two-thirds from the front toward the end, you're probably going to land pretty close to Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel chapter 3. And so as you're turning there, remember that the author of Hebrews is, uh, is very knowledgeable about the Scriptures. And I think what he's doing here in Hebrews, in our, in our passage today, is drawing on the life of Ezekiel to teach us something about the God-ordained work of pastors. So in Ezekiel 3, God is going to tell Ezekiel that he's going to send him back to Israel to call the rebellious people back to the Lord, call them to repentance. 
And Ezekiel takes this news and he just sits overwhelmed for a whole week. Can't do anything. Just frozen in fear, thinking about this task that the Lord has given him. Listen, we're going to read starting at verse 16. (coughs) Excuse me. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness, Or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. So Ezekiel is called to be a watchman over the house of Israel. And whatever he hears from the Lord, he is to speak to the people. Listen and repeat. Sounds a little familiar to that first part of our Hebrews passage today. And the Lord gives us four test cases to help Ezekiel understand what's going to happen when he's a faithful watchman and what happens when he fails as a watchman. In verse 18, he says, If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, so God speaks, and you give him no warning, Ezekiel fails at his job. Then the wicked man dies for his sin. So in every case, the wicked man dies for his sin. Just an interesting note. Not failed for being warned or sinning, dying for a failure to be warned, but dying for his sin. And Ezekiel is guilty of his blood, guilty of murder. That's the spirit of what's being said. Verse 19, God speaks. Ezekiel warns. The wicked man still doesn't turn. He dies for his sins, but Ezekiel is safe. You got verse 20. God speaks. Again, no warning from Ezekiel. The righteous deeds are forgotten, and Ezekiel is guilty of the man's blood. And then in verse 21, God speaks. Ezekiel warns. The righteous man doesn't sin, and Ezekiel is delivered. Ezekiel is a watchman, and as you can see, his obedience and his disobedience has dire consequences for the people. And it doesn't acquit them of their own guilt, but Ezekiel is responsible for failing to warn the people. A huge consequence to his task. His labor is in no way light. I think think Hebrews has this in its background, 
One other idea in our author's mind, in the, in the New Testament, Jesus is regularly speaking about this idea of being watched and of watching, using the same, same language, same words. And every time he talks about it in the sense of his future coming, his return and future judgment. Mark 13, he says, concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Luke 21, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all the things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So when Jesus is speaking of keeping watch, he's always talking about watching for his return, watching for the coming judgment. Flip back to Hebrews chapter 13. And with these passages in your mind now, listen again to what he says. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Growing up, my family had a, a couple of TV shows we were big fans of. One of them was Walker, Texas Ranger. Aired in the 90s, Chuck Norris is Cordell Walker, sergeant in the Texas Rangers, uh, a law enforcement unit in Texas. And the chorus to the show's theme song, and these are the words, he says, because the eyes of a ranger are upon you, any wrong you do, he's going to see. When you're in Texas, look behind you, because that's where the ranger's going to be. Is that what Hebrews means? Pastors are watching you, lurking in the corners, keep an eye out behind you. Every time you sin, we're going to jump out and tell you what you did wrong. No, obvious. God hasn't ordained that pastors punitively watch over you, but protectively watch over you. How do they do that? Well, pastors first have to know what danger looks like. And so we're reading, studying the scriptures, learning from church history. We're watching the times, trying to understand culture, how people think, how we got to the, where we are, how we got here as a society. We have to know a little bit of what danger looks like. And so we're, we're studying and learning and holding it up against scripture to know if it's good, if it's true, if it's beautiful, or if it's dangerous for us. And then we got to be on our guard, looking out for danger, eyes wide open all the time, looking for those strange and diverse teachings that he was talking about just a few verses ago. Those things that will toss you to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by deceit. Looking out for threats to our unity as a church. Threats that would turn your gaze away from Christ. Hardships that would cause you to shrink back. Distractions that turn your eyes away from Jesus. Anything that would cause you to drift away. So many dangers. So many people. Pastors are are sleepless shepherds. Ever alert for danger. 
And then when our danger comes, when we spot it, we've got to warn the people. We move to action. You know, we saw, you saw in Ezekiel what happens when the watchman fails, when he hears from the Lord but doesn't speak to the people. So pastors have to do our job. We have to speak honestly. And that's especially challenging at times. It's especially challenging when we're talking about sin, that sin that so easily entangles all of us. You know, how often are your pastors having hard meetings late at night talking about the sin in other people's lives, the sin that would threaten your endurance toward Christ? But it's not just enough to know what danger looks like, to be on the lookout for it, to warn you of it. We've got to direct you to safety. And so with every threat, Christ, the head of our church, has placed pastors up on the wall to cry out, danger, turn to Christ. Turn back to Christ. Christ is better than that. That's not true. Look to Christ. Whatever it is, fix your eyes on Christ. That's what ultimately makes this job so wonderful, is we get to constantly stand before you and say, look to Jesus. He says, interestingly, we're told that pastors watch over our souls as those who will have to give an account, which sounds a lot like God's going to require a reckoning from us. But the idea is not that we have to give an account, but pastors intend to give an account. I will give an account to our Lord one day because the chief watchman has placed me in this role, I answer to him. And so one day I'll stand before our Savior and have to give an account of how I spoke to you, how I prayed for you, what words I called you to obey, how I loved you as a pastor. You know, and just to be honest, in my own weakness, there's sometimes a battle between the, the weight of giving an account to Christ and the challenge of just speaking speaking truth to people who sometimes don't want to hear it. Matthew Henry once said of the role of a pastor, such a dilemma are the church's watchmen in. Men will curse them if they be faithful, and God will curse them if they be false. That is immensely sobering. As we take our role as watchmen Seriously, there's a consistent, significant amount of pressure. You talk to any of your pastors, they'll tell you about sleepless nights preparing to teach, worrisome hours trying to figure out how to talk in the counseling room, what words will get through a hardened heart. You know, it's sobering because I, I know my words carry weight. I'm trying to persuade you to follow Christ when there's a a more tempting, more easy path somewhere else. You know, and I can, we can take this whole idea way too far and say, and put too much weight on my pastoring for my own salvation. That's not what he's saying. Where he's saying my salvation depends on Christ's faithfulness and my faithfulness to you as a pastor. It's not what he's saying. Or he could say, he could take it too far and say, your salvation depends on me. 
And that's tempting sometimes, to be honest, to, to pull way too much responsibility on myself. So we have to remind ourselves as pastors that each person is responsible for their own faith and trust in Christ. We can try and carry too much on our own. And I think there's a helpful analogy if we think about the warning passages in Hebrews over the last many months. There's warning passages that are real. Don't apostatize. Don't turn back. Don't add to Christ. Be warned from drifting away from the gospel. So there's real warnings, and God has divinely ordained that those warning passages be effective. Real warnings and effective warnings. Similar to that, pastors, really watch over your soul, caring for your eternal joy, warning you from danger. So the dangers are real, and the need to be watched is real, and God has ordained that the watching really works. Watchmen are one of the ways that God has sovereignly decided to hold you fast, to keep you attached to that sure and steady anchor. And so it's not me who does it, it's not any of your pastors who does it, but it's God through us holding you fast. Real warnings, effective warnings. Real danger, effective watching. So this is the reason the, past, the, the author can go on to say, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So my joyful watching over you is an advantage or a benefit to you. My groaning or complaining watching would be a disadvantage or a detriment even to you. And the language, let them do this, it could sound a little bit like the burden is on you. Obey us so we can be happy. Which sounds kind of nice, and there's a sense in which that's true. Because there's really not much more joyful than watching you follow Christ. When a sinner repents and follows Christ, that's pretty great news for us. When you're suffering, when you're hurting, and you're looking to Christ... That brings us joy. So obey Christ for the sake of our joy, please. But the passage is is really an imperative. It's a command directed at pastors. Pastors, watch with joy. Watch enthusiastically. Baptize people with joy. Marry people with joy. Bury people with joy. Counsel with joy. Preach with joy. Teach with joy. Labor with joy so that way your people might find their joy in Christ. Labor with joy knowing your labor is not in vain. Are these not the type of men that you want to submit to? That you want to obey? Men speaking God's truth to you? Men joyfully watching over you, calling you to Christ? We need these kind of men. I need these kind of men when my faith is weak, when I'm in danger of letting go of Christ. I need a pastor enthusiastically watching over my soul. It's one of God's wonderful, beautiful designs for getting us all the way home. Is it at any wonder at this point 
why he goes on to ask for prayer. Look again at our, our passage. He says, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you all the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. And so the final instruction for the journey ahead, an instruction for all of us as a church, is to pray earnestly. And he asks for their continued prayers for their leaders, and includes himself here, because the leaders have a clear conscience. And the conscience, it's, it's previously come up in our letter, if you'll remember from other passages. For example, a couple verses here, 9.14, says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? A few verses later, 10.22, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the author of Hebrews, he's using the word conscience to describe the whole person and relationship to God. And so he's saying here in Hebrews 13, he's confident we have a clear conscience desiring or, or since we desire to act honorably in all things. So pray for us. You know, it's, it's not, not a humble brag, you know, pray for us because we're awesome. It's a prayer for us because they're doing their job. We're fulfilling our role as watchmen, and we need your prayers for endurance, for obedience that endures. He's saying our, our legs are tired, our eyes are heavy, our voice is getting weak. Pray for us. Pray that we would endure selfishly pray for your pastors. Then he repeats that call saying, I urge you the more earnestly to do this, meaning to pray, in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. You know, Trent said way back at the beginning of our, past, our sermons in Hebrews that we don't know which human wrote Hebrews, but we know that God divinely inspired it. It seems as though the original audience knew who was talking to them, who was writing to them. And for some unknown reason, he's no longer physically present with them. We don't know why. We just know he longs to be back with them. He says, I urge you, I earnestly urge you to pray for us because I want to be with you again and soon. And that word earnestly, I love it there. He says, pray with sincerity, pray with intense conviction that we can be together again soon. There's just a wonderful sense of his love and his joy for his people. He's written this beautiful letter, and it's not satisfying. It's not good enough. Can you imagine that? He wrote Hebrews, and he says, yeah, it was good, but it's not satisfying. I need to be with you. You know what kind of pastors you need for the journey home? Pastors that endure in obedience to the Lord, but pastors that long to be with you. It's why we make a big deal about being together, being in the room together. Because we want to be with you. You can't get this kind of watching from a live stream. There might be reasons to watch the live stream, but you can't get this kind of watching from a live stream. You're missing out on God's 
good design for being watched over. That's why we make a big deal about being a member here, staying for the duration, even through challenging times, times of doubt, maybe even times of mistrust. It's why we preach the way we do. Preaching isn't about entertaining, and it isn't strictly about being relevant to your life this week. We're with you face-to-face in the room, offering you the words of God, helping you endure all the way home to Christ. So pray with intense conviction for the endurance and faith and obedience of your pastors. Pray that we can be together for a long time, watching over one another, being watched by our pastors, warning us from danger, instructing us in truth, calling us to Christ. You know, we're here. Speak on behalf of the other the other 14 guys, but especially myself. I'm here as long as the Lord would allow it. We mean to watch over your soul all the way home to Christ. And we do that with joy and with love for all of you. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning eager to hear your word, Lord, eager to obey. Where that desire to hear and obey is weak, Lord, would you lift us up? Because obedience is often the harder path. But when we look to Jesus, our Lord, our guide, our example, he said it was not his will, but your will, Father, that needed to be done. And so because of you, we're, we're free to obey. We don't need to struggle to know if we've obeyed enough to be right with you. But instead, through our perfect Savior, we who were once enemies have become beloved sons. Lord, we pray and thank you for the gift of pastors. Ephesians tells us that when our Savior ascended, he gave gifts to his people, a conquering king tossing out the spoils of war to his people. You gave us pastors, men to speak truth, men to focus our eyes, to watch over our souls. And so we thank you for them, Lord. Encourage them in their labor. labor. Give them joy. Cause them to endure for our sake and for the sake of your church, we pray. Amen.